Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. And I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. But Scott, I'm just a decoy. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, on that note, ziplining onto the podcast this week, our third angel, we have Lucy Buglis, who, of course, hosts the TV Time podcast, and you can also find her on Twitter where she reviews films. Welcome aboard. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, I wouldn't actually get on a zipline in real life, though, disclaimer. Um, I don't trust myself to zipline anywhere, but <laughs> I'm happy to be here. As long as no one's kicking you off the side of a building on a bungee cord, it's all good. Yeah, that, 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 that would not be very nice, would it? <laughs> no, no. But um, what we tend to do when we have guests on is talk a little about them first before we get into the film. So, I mean, you review films online, also you have your podcast. How did you get into reviewing films? Uh, for me, it was kind of, it was, kind of um, it was a sad moment in my life. I, was, I lost my day job and I was made redundant for about six months and I was really, really bored. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to try a new vocation. I'm going to try and get into something that I really care about, set up my own blog and a few years down the line, you know, I'm Rotten Tomatoes approved, I'm doing cool podcasts like this, so it was kind of a blessing, in a way. Um, so it was kind of, I kind of fell into it, you know? Um, and I kind of fell, like, into the film Twitter community, I know you guys were a part of that as well, and they were so welcoming. And I'm kind of grateful for that redundancy in a strange way. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm writing TV and film reviews as a job, which is, is, a, is an incredible experience. That's awesome. This is also the first time this podcast has been referred to as a blessing. So usually it's a curse. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm curious though. No, podcasting in general because like you guys are so passionate and like I absolutely love the community and what you guys do and I'm always game for podcasts, honestly. Oh, that's awesome. And I have a question early on. Like what were the movies that sort of inspired your love of the form going back? Oh, like what? Like from since day one? Um, sure. Like, what were the movies that kind of changed the way that you looked at film and made you so passionate about it? I think when I was younger, I was obsessed with Mary Poppins, the original Mary Poppins. Um, and then I kind of, I grew up and I got into horror, like really big on horror. Um, so my personal favorite film is Silence of the Lambs. Um, and that was kind of a an awakening for me because I was like, this is such a cool film, you know, like those iconic performances. And I kind of just I got really, really into horror. Like, it's kind of, that's my kind of bag, I guess. Um, they're the main two. I mean, the first Saw as well, controversially. <laughs> um, I found that really interesting when I watched that. There's just so many, to be honest. Um, I'll watch anything, but it's mainly like true crime horror and that kind of thing that I'm into. At least it didn't inspire you to make a skin suit. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I did get a tattoo. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of, you know, it's it was just such an iconic film and I, you know, it came out in 1991, so I I, I didn't exist then. <laughs> so I, I kind of watched that later on in life and I was kind of like, this is the best film ever and it's it's still my number one film. I don't think anything will overtake that, to be honest. What about Hannibal Rising? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, it looks all right, but the film is not great. Let's just put it that way. What are, um, you know, you say you're really into horror. What are some of the other horror films, you know, that maybe in recent years people should be checking out, ones that you gave really favorable reviews to? Oh, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I'm, I love this kind of stuff. So Hereditary was a big surprise. I don't know if, if you guys have seen that. Um, I thought that yeah. was incredible. I managed to avoid all the spoilers, and I, I don't really want to spoil it on your podcast, but, like, the big scene with the pool. <laughs> I did not see that coming, and I was like, 
<laughs> and it's kind of seeing that on the big screen and kind of having that shock and the you know the, the fear and the, the suspense it was Ariasta is incredible and then he followed up with Midsummer, which is also amazing um oh and Jordan Peele Jordan Peele is killing it out there <laughs> those two are ones to watch honestly I think they're they're the future of horror in my opinion they definitely seem to be setting like the template for how to do this sort of elevated horror at this point oh yeah yeah, I mean, I, I, I like us, you know, us was divisive, but I, I really enjoyed us. Jordan Peele's us. Hmm. Yeah. I'm a bit of a, a horror-averse kind of guy. I, I, I kind of struggle with films that make me tense, even mm. though I, I review spy movies uh, as a hobby. <laughs> I don't know why. That's a strange thing there. But um, I recently did watch Midsummer, and I actually really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to actually going back and watching Hereditary. I've done them out of order, I suppose. But... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Midsummer. I think it's the kind of, because horror, is, it's kind of such a loose term these days because you can splice horror with like any other genre, basically. So, you know, you can you can have the jump scares, you can have the gore, but I think what Arias does do is it's more the sense of dread and the sense of sort of... And grief is a massive theme in his horror as well. So I just think it's... it's People are connecting with Midsummer more because of the grief aspect. Um, and it's nice to kind of welcome new horror people to that sort of film because... Loads of people like you who don't watch horror, like my friends, watch Midsummer, and they were like, it was really good. And I was like, I told you it was good. <laughs> so it's just nice to, to kind of see people getting more into it. I'll never get that tracking shot out of my head where they go towards the sister. Oh, when she's, I know. Um, yeah, that, that's burned in my brain now. Yeah. That's not going anywhere. It's haunting. <laughs> Did you ever watch the Midsummer director's cut that they put out, the one that's like three hours long? I have it, but shamefully, I haven't, re- like, I haven't revisited it, but I would like to. I'm in the same boat. It's like, it's a little too soon for me to dive back in for the extended version, but I will at some point. That's literally how I feel. (laughs) Well, spinning off from horror uh, into spy movies, now before we talk about this week's film, is there any personal favourites you have, spy movie genre? See, I was, when you guys approached me, I was like, I'm a bit of a novice when it comes to spy films, to be honest with you, but it's, I'm always willing to learn. Um, I guess, like, I think I told you guys I'm a bit of a normie. I love Casino Royale. That's my favourite one. <laughs> Mainly because of Mads Mikkelsen. I just think he's brilliant in that film. Um, but I don't tend to watch a lot of them. So I'm very interested in learning. Well, I mean, Casino Royale is a really popular pick. So mm-hmm. there's a reason why it's popular. It's fantastic. And yeah. we're looking forward to covering that at some point down the road. But mm-hmm. yeah, it may be the go-to, but there's a reason it's the go-to for sure. And you know, do you find like that when it comes to sort of spy films, when you do, you know, watch them, are you drawn more to the kind of the fun ones or more of the like the serious stuff? That's it's an interesting question. I think I like a bit of both. I think the the issue I have with some and like you know, like like spy parodies is they're a little bit too cringe, like like Austin Powers, that kind of stuff. It's not really my kind of thing. <laughs> um but you know I, I like a little bit like sleek sexy sort of really kind of stylized like a really strong villain hence why i like casino royale i guess um but the bond films do have that sense of sort of wackiness to them as well certainly the the earlier ones um i i guess i prefer a little bit more seriousness when it comes to my spy films yeah right well i guess that leads us over to this week's film since we're talking about serious spy films cam <laughs> what are we talking about Yes, we are talking about 2019's Charlie's Angels, directed by Elizabeth Banks. Well, we've we've made it to the third film. Mm, I didn't yeah. think we'd make it. Uh, we've we've clawed our way here. Um, I think before we talk about our like initial thoughts of the film and what we knew from the past, let's just do the letterbox.com synopsis. 
Charlie's Angels. Unseen, undivided, unstoppable. When a systems engineer blows the whistle on a dangerous technology, Charlie's Angels from across the globe are called into action, putting their lives on the line to protect society. Sure. <laughs> okay. That's fine. <laughs> Doesn't give anything away. I quite like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, okay. I hadn't seen this film before reviewing it for for this, I, but I knew about this film. Like it, it seemed to be on on Twitter tons when it came out. People were talking about it. Maybe not for the right reasons, but people were talking about it. Uh, does anyone else remember it at all? I remember it coming out. Yeah, and I remember kind of <laughs> a lot of sort of like discourse and like sort of division around it, I guess. But like like you, I hadn't seen it, so I didn't really have anything to contribute. Um, but it was very much split down the middle of people absolutely hated it, or they thought it was like really amazing. And I mean, it's got a great cast, to be fair. But yeah, I remember that the internet was going a bit wild with it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I remember. I, I, there was a real sense when it was coming out as well of just, do we really need this? Like, did the world need a Charlie's Angels reboot? I remember a lot of the talk was about that, but that was before it came out. When it came out, you're right, Scott. Like, it was fiery. People were enraged by this movie, and then the other half were... It, it was weird where it was a battle between people who were passionately angry about it, and the other half that were like, that's eh, okay. <laughs> like, it wasn't like it was a love and hate, it was a really hate and indifference, mostly. <laughs> like, no one was, like, really flying the flag for this movie. It was more that they were like, I don't know, like, it's fine in comparison to a lot of the other middle-of-the-road movies we have out there. I don't see the big deal. But there was a lot of uh, people, uh, dudes, let's be honest, a lot of dudes who were online just enraged by this movie. So, um, yeah, it was a weird discourse. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it um, early in the pandemic. Uh, I watched it at home. And um, I, I remember just watching it and being like, okay. like I, I just didn't understand what the big deal was. I, I thought like Kristen Stewart was an absolute blast in the movie. There was elements I liked. Elements I didn't like, but it was one where you kind of walked away going like, how could anyone be wound up by this movie? That was sort of my sense. Yeah, I I, I could see where some people might get angry about maybe not having the 2000s angels come back because it's not like they're 30 years older and they couldn't do the stunts anymore. They're all still acting and they're all still fantastic. So you wonder why they got rid of them. But, you know, I can also understand why they would go for maybe younger and cheaper actors in that sense. If they'd wanted to make a third one, though, with that original cast, it would have cost a lot of money just to get them back. So my guess is they want to hedge their bets and do it on a lower budget because that way, if if it didn't perform well, as Full Throttle didn't perform spectacularly, you lose less money. Yeah. Well, I think we all sort of had the same experience when it came out of just sort of watching the fires burning online just from afar and eating popcorn while everyone shouts at each other, which is you know, how I like to spend my time on Twitter. But um, Cam, how did we get from Full Throttle to this? Well, okay, so Full Throttle pretty much killed off the sequels that were going to happen with the original team. It just didn't perform very well, and so that was kind of the curtain call for that iteration of the franchise. Um, and then it just sat dormant. There was like a 2011 attempt to reboot it for television. It just went nowhere, aired only a handful of episodes. And then a little movie came along in 2017 that sort of led the way for Charlie's Angels to return. And it was a Sony film. 
It was a massive, massive hit and a surprise hit revitalizing a decades-old property. Can anyone name what that movie is? Uh, Wonder Woman? Uh, no, it's not Wonder Woman. Um, the movie was actually Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> what? That film... Uh-huh. What? That, yeah, okay, so that movie came out, and it was, you know, a sequel to, like, a 1995 film, whole new cast, and blew up. Like, made an absolute unbelievable amount of money and sony was like holy crap and it, apparently it really kicked off reboot fever at sony so that opened the doors for zombie land double tap bad boys 3 more spider-man stuff and dot 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 charlie's angels i didn't know i could blame my thoughts on this film on the jumanji return but uh, now i know I've, one thing else i can blame on the rock i suppose <laughs> i guess it was just a case of like an old property that seemed useless coming out and making like a billion dollars. And they're like, holy crap, there's nostalgia. We can milk this. Well, no one saw Jumanji being a good film. I, I thought it would be an absolute train wreck and was pleasantly surprised. At yeah. Yeah. I don't think they ever expect it to be this like very vital franchise that you could put so far. They've had two of those films out, you know, that have been big hits and probably a third on the way. So that's what they were looking at. <laughs> <laughs> It makes sense now that you've kind of outlined all of that, but gosh. Hmm. sometimes I just need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> just stop, stop with the, the, re the reboots and the sequels already, please. <laughs> so um, they had approached Elizabeth Banks um, around that time mm -hmm. about coming on and um, d directing and producing Charlie's Angels. And her husband, uh, Max Handelman, was going to also produce the film. And it was sort of like a flirtation. She never actually signed on the dotted line, but it was sort of an active attachment. And so Sony went off and hired Evan Spiliotopoulos to come in and write a screenplay for this film. And he had written a lot of Disney straight-to-video stuff like Cinderella 3, Lion King 2. He'd also done Huntsman, The Winter's War, and he would also do Beauty and the Beast, the uh, remake, the Disney remake. Um, he actually has a movie right now in theaters, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe Origins film. So <laughs> that's, that's the man you put your franchise into. That, that, that is the guy you bank on. Absolutely. Yeah. Lion so... King 7. You know, fuck me. Quality content. <laughs> <laughs> so he came up with a screenplay and then it was rewritten many times by writers like uh, Jay Basu, who wrote Girl in the Spider's Web. Um, Craig Mazin, who was the writer-creator of Chernobyl, the uh, TV series, okay. as well as Semi, uh, as well as Semi Chellis, who was a writer-producer on Mad Men. All of these dudes had hands in rewriting this script. And so, when Elizabeth Banks was officially signed and sealed and to direct this movie, she actually came on and did a page one rewrite herself using these previous drafts. She gets sole screenplay credit for this film. But she did bring in another writer shortly after, David Auburn, who'd written The Lake House, the um, somewhat forgotten Sandra Bullock, Keanu Reeves film. And he came on and contributed just enough that he got a story credit. So the final credits for the film are written by Elizabeth Banks, story by um, Evan Spiliotopoulos, and David Auburn. So everyone else is kind of ruled out there in the um, final WGA rulings, but yeah. I have two things I want to just cover there. Firstly, could you say Sandra Bullock's name one more time for us? Sandra Bullock? Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
it's just a strange pronunciation. I hope that's how she really says it, and and because I think Lucy's with me because she's laughing. Too. Yeah, I would say Sandra. Bullock. Okay. Sandra Bullock. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's a British thing because we say Bullock and you're like Bullock. Yeah, <laughs> well, you say Scarlett Johansson, so I don't know. It, what are you supposed it? to say, Johansson? It's Johansson. Uh, oh, no, really? Johansson. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's how she pronounces it. Oh, okay. Okay, but but Bullock, uh, I don't know, sense. man. <laughs> yeah. um, the second thing was, I was genuinely expecting you to tell me that this was an Elizabeth Banks pitch. No. Much like Drew Barrymore, that she came in and says, like, guys, Charlie's Angels, we can do this. Here's my, like, McGee-style idea board. But I, that's not what happened. That's strange. Yeah, it was more like um, they wanted someone to revitalize the thing. And Elizabeth Banks maybe seemed like a weird choice to direct the film. But around this point, she had directed Pitch Perfect 2, um, the sequel to The Sleeper hit. And this movie had a $29 million budget and made 287 worldwide. So, like, it was a really, really profitable venture. And she was very much eyed as someone who could become kind of that next step director. You take her from kind of the comedy sequel to something like this which is more of a blockbuster and um you know we'll talk about whether that worked out but that was kind of the idea i think i'm just curious did anyone watch pitch perfect 2 i have nothing to say about it i haven't seen either okay i haven't seen any of the pitch perfects no sorry mate yeah okay fair enough um so they were hoping that this screenplay would attract top talent that was sony's original idea they wanted actresses like jennifer lawrence emma stone margot robbie and None of them were interested whatsoever. And so they decided to go with newcomers because <laughs> well, it's probably cheaper. And just the idea of maybe building the team just kind of as people. Well, nowadays we live in a world of IP versus movie stars. So maybe their idea was they'll become beloved characters through this uh, trilogy of movies, perhaps. You know, we'll, we won't uh, jump too far ahead. But I think they intended to make a series of these and they thought maybe we'll just build the characters in the first one, and audiences will just love them and want to come back. So it didn't matter who was attached. Uh, so the movie, it's interesting because I was reading Deadline's report on the box office, and we'll get to that in a second, but like they said that Sony saw this very early on as a one-quadrant movie, which is not something I don't think was the plan with, say, the original Charlie's Angels, where they were kind of looking at a wider audience. This one they were targeting specifically women aged 13 to 39. And that was who they were primarily focusing all of their attention on getting. So that's sort of interesting in a time now where most movies, they're aiming at everyone. Whereas this one, they were not. They were aiming at a very specific audience. Anything that says like a four quadrant or a one quadrant release, I just hate hearing that sort of stuff. <laughs> Boiling film down to marketing. I want to punch those people in the face. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> um, so they bounced release dates all over the place for this one. And it was always because there was something in the way. Like originally, like Wonder Woman 84 had a release date. So they had to move Terminator Dark Fate, where you had the return of Linda Hamilton, was coming out at a certain point. So they had to bounce it. But they eventually found a date. But when a movie keeps getting bounced all over the place, there's sort of a sense of like, hmm, that's maybe not great. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the movie cost $48 million. They really hedged their bets. Because if you look at the budgets on the previous ones, significantly higher. I think like Full Throttle was like a $100 million budget. Whereas this one, 48. So uh, if you're doing one quadrant um, marketing, then 48 is a pretty good number to work with. The domestically, it made 17.8. Oh, no. Yeah. 
Brutal. That is really brutal. International, 55.4 for a a worldwide total of 73.2. So, yeah. uh, No one heard those angels. That's worldwide. Oh, my God. That's tiny. Yeah, really poor. Yeah. For comparison, okay. So, 73.2 worldwide for this Charlie's Angels. The original Charlie's Angels with Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, and Lucy Liu made 264 worldwide. Full throttle, 259. So, like, this movie was like its catering budget in terms of grosses. <laughs> they needed some more quadrants, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need more quadrants, stat. <laughs> so, the top three for this year... Uh, number one was Avengers Endgame. Number two was The Lion King. Number three was Frozen 2. All hail Disney, our lords and masters. <laughs> uh, this landed at number 90 between Cats, the musical Cats. <laughs> that one just beat it. <laughs> and just, it was one spot above Serial Bad Weddings 2. I'm sorry, what? Who? <laughs> You? The sequel, the sequel to Serial Bad Weddings. Does, is everyone not familiar with that beloved franchise? <laughs> but I'm Googling it now. <laughs> so I had to do the research. <laughs> I had to do the research. It's a French comedy series directed by Philippe de Chevron. So um, maybe they're very popular in France. <laughs> That's, I'm guessing, where a lot of the grosses came from. So sorry, oh, Charlie. <laughs> So a, a, a film that was basically released in more or less just France only beat this film. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it played really big in Quebec here. Yeah, I don't know. I can confirm it released in France and Belgium. Oh, not Quebec, huh? <laughs> not Quebec. Nah. Well, maybe it was like a runaway hit. I remember, do you remember when the first Mr. Bean movie came out? Bean? In 97? Of course, I'm British. We all love Mr. Bean. <laughs> sure. So it opened here later. I was very familiar with uh, Mr. Bean from watching the show on TV. But and you, of course, style yourself after him as well. That as well. Um, but the U.S. audiences had no understanding of what that was, and there was genuine bafflement when it was breaking box office records all across Europe. So that by, by the time it showed up here, we were all told, like, this is the movie that has, like, record-breaking box office and for me, I was like, I understood because I knew who the character was. But for a lot of people, they were just like scratching their heads. The smash hit of the summer. <laughs> Bean. <laughs> it's peak comedy for us Brits, though. Mr. Bean's like a legend. He's a national treasure. That's what I grew up on. Yeah, he's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I loved watching them on TV as a kid. But yeah. So uh, there was a bunch of spy movies that came out this year. Um, at number 11, we had Hobbs and Shaw. Number 28, John Wick, Chapter 3. Number 34, Men in Black International, which we covered in the past. Number 52, Spies in Disguise. And number 156, Anna, the Luc Besson-produced action film. Uh, Just as the last note I've got here, I found an interview with uh, Kristen Stewart about this movie's box office performance. And she was really um, bummed about the lack of sequel they'd be getting because she really had a great time making this one. But she has a quote I'll just read out. She said, Well, to be honest with you, I think if I had made a movie that wasn't good and one that I wasn't proud of and a lot of people saw it, I would be devastated. Luckily, I'm not feeling gutted because I really am proud of the movie and I think that the kind of climate that we're living in right now is polarizing and it's weird and it's kind of hard to promote a movie like that. 
and I think trying to have a really complicated, overly politicized feminist conversation in a five-minute TV interview about Charlie's Angels, I'm like, dude, we just want to have a good time. So that sort of wraps up the behind the scenes on Charlie's Angels, and we can jump off from there. I think that's basically my review of the film as well. Dude, mm. we just want to have a good time. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay, let's talk about it. What do we think of it now? We've all seen it. Lucy, you're our guest. You're up first. Sure, yeah. I think you said at the very beginning, like it's not like the worst film in the world, but it's also not kind of breaking any sort of boundaries or anything. It's it, it's fine. It's a fine film. It's entertaining. I had a good time with it. Like, you know, Kristen Stewart, I thought was brilliant. Like she was really fun to watch. She was having a blast, you could tell. Um, you know, I was really into the costumes, really into the sort of the disguises, that kind of thing. Um, but obviously it, it kind of, it falls flat when it comes to like predictability and sort of, you know, you, you saw things coming. It was very obvious. There was very, there were a lot of beats throughout that I was like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Um, the thing is like, it's, I don't want to like kind of trash talk it too much. It wasn't brilliant, but like I said, I still had fun. You know, I didn't turn it off. I didn't get bored, but it it, it was fine, I, I guess, is my summary of that <laughs> that's fair I'm, I'm just curious um lucy mm. your thoughts we didn't get this up front just on the first two films in the franchise the mcg directed oh one. yeah of course um the first one i absolutely love i think it's brilliant um i i, I should have mentioned that really in the beginning i mean i, I was bang on about casino royale too much but yeah no i genuinely like the first one quite a lot um second one i haven't seen truth be told um i listened to your episode on it so i don't really need to <laughs> but i don't think i have an interest in watching it to be honest um but i knew that the spin-off was obviously going to offer something a little bit different um so yeah the first one i love definitely nice like i say i'm, I'm not like the, the biggest spy correspondent unfortunately but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay well that's that's, that's <laughs> it's good to have you on in that sense because you know if you're a hard diehard spy fan yeah. like we are sometimes you can get that sort of you know, roast into glasses or the other way around yeah. and really love or hate something. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, you could be more objective, which is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm here to learn. I'm here to, you know, get your thoughts on it as well. So, Well, Cam, what do you think? Yeah, I, it was one last night that I sat and rewatched also with the movie Spaceballs, because Scott, we're going to be doing that on another podcast. So it was a weird night of sitting and rewatching Spaceballs and Charlie's Angels 2019. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Not a night I ever saw for myself. I'm like, how did I wind up here in my life? So strange. But um, I, I didn't have strong opinions on this movie the first time I saw it. And revisiting it, I felt the same way. Like, I thought it had moments that were a lot of fun. Like, there's things we're going to talk about that... There's some movies, Scott, where you're like, let's talk about good things. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, what am I going to say about one of our dinosaurs is missing in terms of things that I think are really good? This is one, like, I can check off a lot of things I liked about the movie. It also has a lot of problems. And I think, you know, this is a, um, in many ways, an action thriller. It's following up those McG films, which were very big on pyrotechnics and martial arts and all that sort of stuff. Very memorable action beats. And this is a movie where the action's very poor across the board. Like, there's a couple sequences that are okay, but it's pretty poor in terms of just the staging and direction. And um, I found myself, though, won over somewhat by the cast. Um, they aren't as high wattage as the original trio. But, I mean, Kristen Stewart is like, this is basically just someone who's like, I'm here to have fun. And this year, I remember she made two movies that were kind of these genre exercises. This was one, she also did the movie Underwater which was a uh, underwater horror film. Yeah. And in both cases, it's like Kristen Stewart coming off this run of like art house, um, great performances, and just saying, I just want to have fun for a couple movies. And, you know, showing up and doing, in this case, 
this like really loopy, almost cartoony character in underwater. It's kind of like her Ripley, um, you know, Sarah Connor type character and just like having fun with it. And I, I think she's really strong here. She's the, the force that really, I think makes this movie come alive. And we can talk about maybe a power imbalance between her and the other angels, but in terms of just kind of continuing on with the plot threads, I thought this was like a totally watchable, you know, spy thriller that had enough elements of the, you know, Charlie's Angels franchise to keep me at least interested. I'll just cap us off with my thoughts then on the film. I maybe wasn't as as high as you two were on it. Not that either of you were particularly high on it, but um, I I struggled. I have to admit. I think one of the things that these Charlie's Angels films hinges on is fun. They need to have an element of fun to them. And, you know, because those two in the early 2000s are very outlandish. You know, physics aren't a thing. It's insane at times. But that's a good thing. It, you, it, it understands its world and it just lives within it. And it is fun. The plot isn't maybe as engaging, but you've got laughs. You've got engaging characters. This, for me, didn't really have good characters and it didn't have any fun. And the plot wasn't even that that good to sort of cling on to, like there was an interesting spy thriller plot. So for me, this was just so so much of a nothing burger that I just found myself watching the clock for two hours. I think maybe we all kind of feel the same in, a little bit about that film, but I just feel like if it was a bit more fun, if the other two angels apart from Kristen Stewart, and I will agree with you both, I think she's the best thing about the film, um, were a bit more fun. And Elizabeth Banks was maybe a bit more fun. Or if the story was more interesting or intriguing or kept us on the edge of our seats. If they wore into the spy thriller world and kept you like engaged and thinking, oh, what could happen? Whereas, as Lucy said, if you pay attention, it's there from more or less minute one. And I, I didn't know what to do with it after that point, especially on the second viewing. I was just like... <sighs> do you think it is too long. Do you think being too serious then? Do you think they should have had, like, kind of loosened up a little bit or... <laughs> I I think that might have maybe saved it a little bit. I mean, there's definitely more emotional stakes in this film than the the two naughties ones. <laughs> that ain't hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not particularly. But, you know, it doesn't fully go that way and commit to it being a serious character piece because it knows, looking back at the Charlie's Angels TV show, even that was kind of fun. It had its moments, but this this actually, funnily enough, calling back to our first episode, reminded me more of the pilot that we watched. Oh, that painful, ouch. painful, painful pilot! I just, <laughs> I, I couldn't. They weren't in one house for at least the entire runtime of the episode <laughs> or the film. I was, I was waiting for Tommy Lee Jones to just come in for one scene and be like, "Oh, hey, buddy," and then just leave again. Playing the love interest once again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> To Patrick Stewart's character, of course. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's weird in that, like, it wants to walk this kind of odd line of really kind of silly goofiness where, you know, like, that's what Kristen uh, Stewart is, like, honed in on. Like, I'm going to play this character just as... She's in some ways like the Cameron Diaz of this movie. Like, she's the character who's just super competent but kind of lives as, like, a train wreck and is just all over the place, kind of klutzy. And I think that's so much fun to watch. But, like, the movie is really focused on its plot, which is something the original films were not. Like, it was kind of all just nonsense. They were just tossing off in between explosions and montages. Here, there is a lot of talk about this tech that can cause, like, 
I don't know, it like electrocutes your brain basically, and how it's a power system for the for the future that they can use for assassinations, and who has it, when they have it, how it's being passed around, who's selling it, who's buying it, and the movie isn't written well enough to pull off this sort of labyrinthine kind of storyline. It's like just give us something basic and let us have fun with the characters. I don't need to spend a lot of time wondering about what, who's holding on to this tech at any given time, as well as, like, subplots about, like, is Elizabeth Banks's Bosley character trustworthy? She looks really shady when the camera's on her. Uh, stuff like that. You're just like, who cares? That's it, though, exactly. It's who cares. Like, you don't. And that's not what you want from a film like this. You you, you want to be invested somewhat, but, like, everything, everyone's just so two-dimensional and predictable and Patrick Stewart like he was wasted in this quite frankly <laughs> like you know he could have been so much better than what he was um because he, he's, he's great like look look at his filmography Patrick Stewart um I don't know man I just I didn't get a lot out of out of the characters at all aside from Kristen Stewart this is basically just a Kristen Stewart stan podcast at this point um but she was the only one that I was like yeah she's good <laughs> well I don't want to lamp on the film too much i kind of want to throw some credit to it where it's due but one thing that jumped out to me is the most fun i had in this entire film is in the end credits <laughs> what's up with that okay <laughs> um like really? that because you had that training montage where like if you think about the first two charlie's angels films some of the fun bits are also like when you have the credit sequences and all those little spliced together moments of them being angels or training to be angels. And we got that right in the end credits for the Naomi Scott character. And I really enjoyed that bit. I just wish the film had more fun with itself. But, you know, was there any moments that jumped out to you guys? What about Lucy first? Yeah, I think I like the opening sequence quite a lot, actually. Because <laughs> it kind of yeah. played on the sort of, you know, the, the kind of traditional seductive nature of, like, you know, female spies and the kind of... I guess it tried to make a point about like misogyny in general and kind of, you know, underestimating women's capabilities. Um, and that was quite a fun little sequence with Kristen Stewart just being sexy and having a good time and then, you know, attacking this guy. Um, that was, yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, but I think I would have liked a bit more scenes like that, to be honest. Because even when they kind of teamed up and they were in disguises and stuff, it wasn't as good as that particular scene with her, if that makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of the things are quite forgettable, I, I think. I, I like that scene as well. And I like how they're throwing in things like uh, it takes a certain number of, you know, fractions of a second for a man mm -hmm. to recognize a threat in a woman versus another man. So that's, you know, I wish they'd actually doubled down on things like that in the movie. Like exactly. other advantages women would have in this job that men don't. I think that was actually really a really great concept for why the Charlie's Angels, like what is sort of their thing and why are they so effective? I, I thought stuff like that was strong, but... I also thought, like, there's a heist sequence partway through where they have to break into a vault. And we've seen vault break-ins in many of films we've covered, um, as well as uh, Charlie's Angels, the original, um, with uh, the McGee film. But I thought this one was really fun, where they're all wearing matching, you know, outfits and wigs. And it's basically about the uh, increasingly flustered security guy trying to keep track of who's where and when. That sequence, I thought, was actually really energetic and had a certain sense of geography to it that was at least more coherent than the action. So when it came to more of the heist elements of this movie, I thought they were pretty fun. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I like the kind of sort of um, the closet that they had and all the kind of the weaponry and the kind of disguises. And that was a fun little sequence as well. Um, kind of playing on the femininity to an extent. 
Um, but yeah, the, the heist stuff was, was fun as well, like you say. Uh, it, it showed that the, the angels being capable, mm-hmm. and that's always always fun to see. And you know, they're not stressing, and they're they're overcoming all these obstacles, which is always good to see your stars and your heroes doing that. I think the only other scene that jumped out to me that I really liked was the sort of the party. Yeah. When they're, they're first sort of breaking into the party and, you know, the I think it's uh, Kristen Stewart and Ella Belinska's character are like, pretending to be dancers. And then by the end, you find out that all the party goers are actually undercover angels as well. I really I really like that. I thought that was actually quite a nice sort of uh, climax to the film. It also paid off the opening where um, the women all come rappelling in to basically uh, save Kristen Stewart and Ella Belinsky's characters, like when they are all the, um, you know, the bodyguards and whatever. Um, so I thought that was a nice payback to that opening sequence. Also, I just thought the setting of that party was really strong. You know, you have the LED lights everywhere. It was just very visually interesting in a way a lot of the rest of the movie is not. Uh, the The rest of the movie is actually kind of flat looking. Uh, it does not make great use of its locations. I think the whole movie was shot in Turkey and Germany, um, but it feels just kind of like a little blah in terms of the cinematography, especially when you look at those earlier Charlie's Angels films. But I thought the party was very strong in that regard. Um, I found like just to the chemistry of the three, when it worked, it worked. And maybe we could talk a little bit about the power um, imbalance of Kristen Stewart versus Naomi Scott and Ella Belinsky. But like, I got the sense that these three actresses like got along and had fun making this movie, which is like that's enough to kind of give me sort of a goodwill towards just watching these characters. See, when I when I read the cast going into this, seeing Naomi Scott up there, and yeah, she's been in quite a few films recently. Um, she was Princess Jasmine in the Aladdin remake. I I had quite high hopes for her, mm-hmm. but again, she didn't really deliver um, in this one. I also saw her in Power Rangers, uh, which I didn't really like that film at all. To be fair, so uh, no no credit to anyone on that one, which also involved Elizabeth Banks, funnily enough. Yeah, I'm guessing that's probably how this sort of role happened for her, just having that relationship with Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, potentially. I just think that, you know, it, there, there's like a three-step process with these angels. Kristen Stewart is definitely the, the head honcho. Like, she she is the one who's the most engaging in the film. Naomi Scott, I don't think, had it going on till right till the end, in those end credits I was talking about. Then I think she maybe starts to get the role. And then Ella Belinska, I, I'll be honest with you, much as I think a lot of the problems with this uh, film come down to the directing, I, I wasn't really buying her as, as as an angel. What about you, Lucy? What are your thoughts on the, the trio? Yeah, I'm I'm with Scott on that, to be fair. I think, you know, Kristen Stewart, obviously, we've mentioned, was incredibly strong. She was supposed to be the more rebellious sort of, you know, fun, edgy kind of one. And then you had, like, Naomi Scott attempting to be kind of, like, broody and not really caring, but it just didn't work for me. Like, I, I knew what kind of you know, characters they were, they were supposed to be and what kind of personalities they had, but she was just sort of... I know she was that kind of bounce off Kristen Stewart, but it wasn't that effective. Um, And, yeah, the... Is it Ella? Sorry, did you say her name is? Ella, Ella Belinska. Thank you, Ella Belinska. Yeah, she she was trying to be, like, the nerdy sort of, like, you know, hacker kind of... I, I can hack into all these things, I'm so smart kind of thing, but it just... I don't know, man. She just she was just too goofy. I just... I don't know. And, you know, she was kind of... People almost felt sorry for her, and it was just I don't know. I I didn't like her character, and I normally I'm I'm drawn to nerdy characters in these kind of films. So it was a shame that she didn't deliver the way that I wanted her to. Um, but yeah, the dynamics were kind of all over the place, though. Really, 
um yeah i just it, it wasn't that convincing as, as a trio i don't think um when you think back to the original trio in the noughties i should mm. say much as they all had their sort of um archetypal things going on lucy lou was the geeky one uh drew barrymore was the rebellious one they were all still fun interesting people yeah Whereas I felt like Ella Belinska's character was just about being this like geeky person who was a good fighter, and that's it. Yeah. She didn't have like a fun side to her or anything like that. She, she, you know, um, I mean, not to say I want you know like the cool barracuda scene from the first one. I'm not asking for anyone to be in a cat suit here. Uh, that that's not what I'm saying. But I just felt like she didn't have the range necessarily as an actor to also have moments of of fun. Yeah, like, I think the problem here is, like, Kristen Stewart has a pretty accomplished filmography at this point. Like, just in terms of acting experience, she has a lot, and she's worked with a lot of very strong directors, so she's really gotten to work on her craft a lot. And you see that here. It's very much like a movie star performance. And Ella Belinsky, I have nothing against her whatsoever. I think she's okay here. Like, she's not offensive but there's not a lot of charisma there's not a lot of dynamic performance going on here and you're pairing her opposite Kristen Stewart who just in terms of you know the weight class of acting experience is well above her so you kind of are just watching her get blown off the screen time and time again opposite Kristen Stewart which isn't like the most satisfying as a dynamic you can tell the actresses seem to you know enjoy working together but you just wish they'd maybe cast someone who could kind of go toe-to-toe with Kristen Stewart here. Even if they are playing kind of the the heavy, you know, the great fighter of the group, that would be fine. But as for, like, Naomi Scott, like, I don't have a problem with her being, like, the nerdy character, the hacker. That's great. Um, I, I think part of the movie's problem is that they established that she's, um, well, she's not an angel when the movie starts. She's the one who's kind of the audience avatar into this world. And a lot of the movie is her kind of being flustered and, you know, wanting to take part, but being pushed back. And whereas with the originals, you had the three of them all working together as sort of equals in terms of the what they brought to the team. She's always kind of on the back foot. And a lot of what goes on with her is characters explaining what's going to happen. And yeah, as Scott referenced earlier, we don't see her becoming an angel till literally the end credits. Yeah, I think that's a pretty small one. Yeah. I think maybe we should move on to the Boz, the Bosleys of it all. Uh, Bosley plural, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I have a, a huge issue with what they did with Patrick Stewart's character, and that isn't to do with him being a villain. I, I don't really have a problem with most of the male characters in this film being villains, much as there's a commentary in there. A lot of it's true. But the fact that they retconned the other two films and the TV show, I found to be a bit of a, a weird choice. Did anyone pick up on that? You mean where they um, had photoshopped him into uh, images with, you know, Cameron Diaz and that team, uh, as well as the original Angels? Yeah, I just thought like they 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 established a continuity of there's other Bosleys in the world in full throttle. So why not just have a picture of Bernie Mac? Why not have Bill Murray? Well, here's the confusing thing, though. With Full Throttle, like, the two Bosleys, the Bill Murray and Bernie Mac characters, were like brothers, right? Like, it wasn't like um, Bill Murray was, like, his adopted brother? So they were establishing there that it was a family line. 
I don't know if Shia LaBeouf was going to become an honorary Bosley later on, I guess, since we never got the third one. But that's what they kind of established. And here we are now looking at more as the Bosleys, as they say in the film, are it's sort of a title like lieutenant. And we find out there's many Bosleys, you know, including including Elizabeth Banks is one of them and um, Diamond Hansu. So there's a whole group of them. Um, I don't I don't hate the concept. Um, I just I don't know. Maybe this is another question to ask. But like uh, maybe before I ask it, you know, Lucy, what was your thought on the um, the Bosleys? Yeah, I, I, as a concept, I don't think it was very well explained and like. You know, I'm not for kind of spoon feeding people information, but I just, it was kind of just brushed like, oh, there's many Bosleys, and you're like, okay. And like, I, I don't know, it just didn't mean much to me. Um, I mean, I, I liked Elizabeth Banks to a certain extent. I thought she was, she was fine. And, you know, I, I liked her character more than the other ones, I think. But yeah, I, I don't know. It was a bit of a strange one. That, that's kind of all I've got on that one, to be honest. Well, okay, I'm going to ask the question then, because this movie establishes itself as being in the timeline with those you know, the, the original show as well as those movies. Yeah. Was that a mistake? Like, d- tonally, this is so far off of what those McGee films were that was it a mistake to try to continue in this continuity? Should they just have rebooted it from scratch? Probably. That would have made a bit more sense, I think. Um, it, would have, it would have given them a clean slate to do something a little bit more interesting and to kind of flesh things out a bit. Like you say, there's a lot of confusion here. And I think that's probably why I'm so confused also. <laughs> Um, yeah, it would have been good for them to just sort of, you know, have an entirely different universe. I don't understand why it would need to be linked back. Maybe that's just me. I'm not sure. Well, I, I get why they try to link it back. I, I understand saying, oh, no, 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 it's all connected. Don't worry, guys. We're honoring the legacy of the noughties films. And I know that's just uh, gesturing to try and get people into the cinema. But then... You're alienating some of the audience. Lucy, you've just said you didn't get it. Yeah. It it was a confusing thing. It alienated you very early on in the film. And then, as I said, for me, it makes the cardinal sin of retconning two important characters from the films they're meant to be referencing. So wh- which way do you want to go? Do you want to honour the films or do you want to ignore them completely? Pick a lane. You can't have both. I, I do agree with that. Like, I think it's kind of walking an uneasy line here where we're expected to believe that these characters and the events in this film exist in the same world as like the absolutely insane things that happened in those previous films. Like those, <laughs> those McGee films were crazy. Like bizarre things were happening. People were defying gravity. Uh, none of that is in this movie. Like it's trying to do a little more grounded in terms of all of its action. Um, it doesn't make any sense, like, trying to mash those two worlds together. No, I, I think that was probably one of its problems from, from minute one. I think I think the ultimate answer to your question is they should have just rebooted it and, and not acknowledged the previous shows. And I wonder, even though, how many people going to this would have just assumed it's a reboot because it's called Charlie's Angels. It's not called, like, you know, Charlie's Angels the Next Generation or whatever tagline you want to throw onto it. Uh, Scott, you're coming up with taken, uh, taken two uh, alternate titles. Maybe we need to be workshopping alternate Charlie's Angels reboot titles, because like just naming it that to me says you're a reboot. It's, uh, I mean, I guess to be fair, we have precedents with like the Halloween sequel calling itself Halloween, but uh, it's not a trend I'm particularly fond of. 
I think in the case of Halloween, though, I think, you know, you know what you're going to get. It's not exactly, you know, a convoluted storyline or whatever. But this, you know, like like I was confused. I'm not going to like pretend that I wasn't. And I think if they would have benefited from a complete rehash, a complete reboot, and maybe they could have had a new generation kind of going into it and seeing it for the first time. You know, maybe some people watched it not seeing the original and then they just didn't know what the hell was going on um maybe that's yeah i think with halloween at least it's just kind of you know michael myers this was the situation that's all you need to know this was trying to be too complicated just in my opinion Mm, yeah well i think maybe we should move on to the other elephant in the room and that is this film's potentially alleged or not depending on your interpretation uh you know angels versus toxic masculinity right um I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about... I mean, obviously there was uh, an outpouring of hatred towards this film from a certain category of people online, mostly idiots. Um, I can understand some people's concerns about this film really just saying all men are practically useless because there is an an element of that in there. I think there's more to it than that, but I can definitely understand why some people would leave the cinema with that thought in their head. What, What did you guys take away from it? Lucy? Yeah, that's a, yeah, I think when you have a film like this, and when we saw it with Ghostbusters, unfortunately, I mean, the reboot that is, I think um, you have a lot of people online that will be kind of slagging it off just because it's women, right? And I get that. But at the same time, like they, they were trying to make a point with this film, and I think it was go- it was going off to a really good start with that opening sequence, like I said, you know, the kind of the, the stats about like females and the kind of, you know, the jobs that they have. But then it, it, it wasn't really making the point I think it was it wanted to and perhaps there was some confusion there and perhaps they just thought it was a two-dimensional all men are idiots lol and I don't think they wanted it to come across that way but it did um I just think perhaps it needed a bit more substance to get this kind of argument across because it's very easy to just be like oh this is just like feminist nonsense or whatever you want to say about it I just wish they'd tried to make it a bit more substantial if that makes sense um yeah, I can kind of see it from both sides because I just think the script's a bit of a mess. <laughs> you know, there's no real motivations at all to, to make any kind of logical point, aside from that like opening sequence, which is, I thought it was going to go well from there, and then it just kind of didn't. Yeah, like I found, for me, like it, it walks a weird line where like I think when they're introducing things like, you know, which we referenced that Kristen Stewart says up front about the, you know, the percentage difference in terms of recognizing a threat in women. Also that, you know, if you're a uh, woman who is really attractive, no one thinks a lot of you. Or if you are, you know, viewed as unattractive, you're invisible to men. Like, I think elements like that are really strong. Um, and I think that's the sort of thing they should have been go- like doubling down on in terms of the concepts they want to kind of explore. But like, there's like some really like kind of just cheeseball stuff, like the YouTube montage at the start of like, young children accomplishing things in sports where you're like okay like (laughs) very strange like what is this (laughs) elements like that i kind of just like scratch my head and it it feels almost performative there where they're just like uh girl power right guys um okay (laughs) like but if you can't tie it organically into your plot like don't just cut away to a random youtube montage it's just weird so decisions like that to me feel clumsy, and I, I feel like that's the stuff that probably grates on people more. It's kind of like, you know, Captain Marvel, um, which was a, a little bit polarizing as well. Um, I think that movie 
worked with its themes as much as, you know, it was willing to. But then you would have that moment, you know, with, say, like, the No Doubt song in the fight. That That's what everyone pointed to. That's what people hated about that movie was that, that, that music cue. That's what really jumped out the most. And I feel like this movie has a few moments like that that feel that extra kind of a little bit of the movie patting itself on the back. It doesn't feel genuine. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's spot on, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I suppose I, I agree with Lucy. I can see both sides of the argument here. And I just, I don't know whether it was Elizabeth Banks pushing for, um, for this to, for it to be this way. I, I can't remember the quote and I haven't been able to find it whilst we've been recording, but I remember Elizabeth Banks saying it like something on the lines of, if this film isn't successful, it's basically because of, you know, men. Yeah. Uh, and I think, didn't Paul Feig say something similar about Ghostbusters? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, it's kind of like... Elizabeth Banks has said a few things that are not not the greatest, to say out loud, um, to the public, or in public forums. And she's kind of become a bit of a lightning rod for this sort of controversy. And I just think a lot of the abuse targeted at this movie was somewhat because of her. And whether I don't think that's particularly fair, just in general, to be targeting anything based mm-hmm. on what one person says in an interview. Um, but uh, I, I do think that was a part of it. And I just think it's, like, she's a fairly new director. She's done Pitch Perfect 2. I, I don't know that this was the best second feature. Like, maybe she should have done something else and then worked her way into this one. Because it feels like it wants to do so many different things that it's kind of evading her grasp. You know what I mean? Well, I had a quick pitch for maybe how you solve one of the the issues when it comes to the the man problem in this film. Hmm. And I'll just run it past you both and see what you think. Early in the film, it's hinted that Elizabeth Banks' Boz is a bad guy and that Patrick Stewart is actually a good guy coming back to save the angels. And then they do the old spy film switcheroo, which you see coming because, you know, it's a man in this film, therefore he's a bad guy. And so it doesn't really land. What if you just made Elizabeth Banks the bad guy? Yeah. Patrick Stewart could save the angels and kind of run in and help him at the end. He's an old, kind man. You can still have, you know, John Tucker as, you know, the, the thin man copy, Hodak. You mean creepy tattoo man? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, Sam Claflin. Yeah. You know, P- Peter Fleming, uh, Nat Faxon's character. They can all still be bad guys, but you have Elizabeth Banks as a as a wise bad guy. You know, she still has a lot of power. She's just a bad guy. I would have loved to see that, I think, because like female villains can be incredibly powerful. And I you know, obviously you guys are the experts. Like, are there many female villains in, in spy films? The one I always go to is Electric King in The World Is Not Enough, the third Pierce Brosnan uh, James Bond film. That's probably one of my favourites. Or okay. Cam. Rosa Klebb. There's also Rosa Klebb in From Russia with Love. Um, but there's not a lot. Like, uh, it's something okay. we've kind of talked about and mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know that we necessarily expected this when we started the podcast, but so much of spy films is, it's all about the concept of the quote-unquote, you know, business of men, right? And a lot of the films kind of center around that. You do get female-led spy films, things like, you know, Salt and um, you know, Red Sparrow, but by and large, Hannah. that's not Hannah. That's another great example. Um, by and large, it tends to be a male-dominated genre. Um, so, yeah, like I do think you have fewer female villains because of that, largely. So I, I would have been down for that. Like I think Elizabeth Banks is fun in the movie. I don't have anything against her performance whatsoever. So, 
the Patrick Stewart character is weird too because you introduce him up front and then you just ignore him. And then he gets one brief scene in the middle of the movie and then he pops up at the end as the villain. And it's like, okay, like I don't really know who this character is. And unfortunately, because of that, when he starts shouting things about, you know, I've spent my life estimating the talents of women, that's all you can draw from the character because you don't know his personality. And also, did anyone notice that he changed his accent right at the end? <laughs> or was it just my ear? I know, Cam, you've got a bad ear for accents. Lucy, did you pick up on it at all? Uh, yeah, I think I get where you're coming from. It wasn't very consistent, his accent. He was like quite proper, you know, Captain Picard mm-hmm. for most of it. And then once he's like right at the end, he's verbally sparring with Elizabeth Banks. He just turns into a cockney. <laughs> oh, you know, sorry. Are we in Oliver all of a sudden? Was that sort of the reveal, though, that like, um, you know, he was putting on this whole exterior for his entire life? <laughs> <laughs> Was it a reveal? You tell me. Oh, like, it didn't work. I think it was just a <laughs> No, it doesn't frankly, work. No. <laughs> if you're questioning it, that it was a reveal, it wasn't revealed very well. No. It's a pretty clunky reveal. And, like, I don't know, did you guys ever question the whole um, Elizabeth Banks being a villain thing? Like, did you ever no. once think she was a villain? No. No. But I would have liked it. That's the problem. <laughs> it, it's such a red herring where it's like, where's Bosley? And we cut to Elizabeth Banks looking really shifty while she's by herself. <laughs> like She's clearly acting for the camera in this moment. Stuff like that. You're like, okay, stop like beating me over the head with this red herring. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I wanted to talk about the direction in the film. And this is not something, Cam, you can attest to this, that really ever jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. But the action is really badly edited and really badly directed i would say yeah i there's i'm not saying i want to see physical contact and i don't want to see a john wick film i'm not saying that but i was reading a review the other day before i did my second viewing and so i went in the second viewing looking for this particularly um i I think it was chris stuckman who said it and um it's basically the way it's directed no action scene has the full uh piece of the action so say if someone's kicking someone what you'll get is a shot of the person kicking then a shot of the leg and then a shot of someone being hit by a leg yeah it's not someone actually being kicked in a wide shot yeah and so you feel like totally disconnected because you, you, you're not actually watching it kinetically move there's like no flow to any of the action sequences really uh I thought the one where it was like the camera looking down at Kristen Stewart fighting a guy in like a bathroom stall, I think that's probably the best one where I was like, okay, this actually looks okay because it's an unbroken take. But Mm. whenever it comes to the editing, it's abysmal. Like, Scott, we recently talked about Taken 2, which I think is maybe a worse offender than this movie. But the one thing I'll say about Taken 2 was it uh, tricked you into recognizing the speed of what was happening. Like, it felt like Liam Neeson's character was just, like, you know, just sending out a flurry of blows throughout this fist fight. Um, whereas here, it often felt lethargic. Like, it, it didn't feel like you were watching, you know, fast-paced action. It was really like, oh, like, I don't think some of these actors know how to fight on screen and we're trying to mask that. And you could feel it. You could really, really feel it a lot. <laughs> you, you also could feel the budget. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame the budget, though, because, you know, I've seen movies like, you know, I think of Ong Bak, 
the uh, the action film, the martial arts film, or I think of The Raid. Those movies are bargain basement budgets, Another and movie. they look incredible. The original John Wick was not expensive at all. Like, I, I don't think budget has anything to do with it. It's entirely direction, fight choreography, editing. Like, that stuff shouldn't cost a lot of money to do. Yeah, the editing's really poor, I think. <laughs> the scene that I probably hated the most was the one where they were at the races. Like, the race course scene was horrendously edited. I hated that so much. <laughs> Oh, are you talking about okay yeah. that part? Overall, it's a it's weird because it follows the high sequence in the vault, which is actually really memorable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas they go to do like a second heist at this like horse race, and I'm like, this is really clunky. Like this so feels bad. like I'm watching a TV episode. But there's a part where Ella Balinski's character is gonna like zip line down from a tower. And it shows her, like, getting ready to do it. And then you, like, cut to Kristen Stewart, and you see this tiny little body in the background <laughs> zip line down. Yeah. <laughs> it looked hilarious. It, you know what it made me think of? Did anyone here watch Arrested Development? I've never seen it, shamefully. Yeah. Okay, well, Scott, you'll get this reference. Do you remember when they go to, like, Little Britain, and you see, like, yeah. the little toy Mary Poppins things, like, sailing yeah. down the zip line and hitting people? <laughs> That's what I thought of when I saw Ella Belinsky's stunt double go down that zip line. Oh, <laughs> Mr. F. And it ends oh. like so like unsatisfactorily where you're watching Kristen Stewart in like a pretty like goofy outfit that like uh, jockey's outfit um, like chasing after a car just to like throw a tag onto the car. And I'm like, that's what this whole sequence was about. Like it was really a, a whole lot of much ado about nothing. <laughs> I, I think the only other thing I really wanted to sort of talk about was maybe the plot itself and, and and our villains as a whole. Yeah. I've seen this film two times now. I'm not sure I could tell you who was who and what was what, apart from they're trying to get this electricity thing and it can kill people. It's not particularly memorable and it's a bit messy. I actually had no memory of the plot when I sat down to watch it last night. And I, you know, the first time watched it, like, what? Like, a year and a half ago. So that's pretty damning. I'd also forgotten most of the villains. Yeah, I'd forgotten half of their names. And you, you should, you should, that's not how villains should be. You know, a villain should stay in your mind. Like, spy films need a good villain. And I, and I can't name, like, any of them, aside from, you know... Actually, no, I can't. <laughs> so there you go. I can't think of anybody. That's terrible. Yeah, other than Bosley, I guess. Yeah. Other than, other than Bosley, and, and yeah, like, exactly. Obvious. Like I remembered, I remembered the Patrick Stewart villain, obviously, but like everyone else was gone. And mm. when you look at that original Charlie's Angels movie, where you have like Sam Rockwell, Kelly Lynch, Crispin Glover, like they are really memorable. Even the second one, you've got Demi Moore jumping in there and Justin Theroux. All of them, you remember them when the movie's over. And this movie, I mean, God, I'm looking at like. So, like, Patrick Stewart is probably the most memorable just being Patrick Stewart. It has nothing to do with the character or the way he's executed on screen. But, like, beyond that, like, I don't know. Jonathan Tucker probably should be, considering he's the new creepy thin man or creepy tattoo man. Uh, and, and I did wonder, though, like, I don't know if this jumped out to you, maybe Scott, having revisited the original fairly recently. Was it, like, a bad idea to make your villain another sort of tech millionaire or billionaire um, here we have, you know, Sam Claflin as Alexander Brock, who's kind of kind of a, just an inept idiot who's being duped by Bosley, but he's also somewhat of a villain. And we just like watched fairly recently the Sam Rockwell tech millionaire billionaire villain in the original Charlie's Angels. Like, should they have done something a little different in terms of what the whole MacGuffin is and the villain concept? 
I mean, should they done stuff diff- differently with this film? Yes. <laughs> is, is is this the only offender in that question? No, there's plenty of things you should have done differently in this film. Um, I, I, I remember, uh, this is something else I read. I'm, I, again, can't quote my source. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But they, the, they, the, Elizabeth Banks told the Angels not to watch the original Naughties films. Yeah. And because she wanted to create her own little thing and didn't want to copy any of the stories like Bad Angels or anything like that, which is referenced in this film. But they're copying exactly, as you said, Sam Rockwell's character. Sam Rockwell's far more interesting. Yeah, and they're also copying Creepy Thin Man, right? Like, they're copying two of their villains. That's bizarre. Yeah. And to be fair, Elizabeth Banks is a was an angel who at one point was meant to be bad. Yeah. So kind of copying that too. I mean, they didn't obviously go through with that in the end, but maybe that's why they didn't do that. I don't know. I think we're all a bit stumped by this film, aren't we? That's it. Well, yeah. it's, just, it's just it's confusing. It's one that <laughs> it's one that like it has elements of really working. Where I go, oh, they had a movie here, and then there's all these like weird caveats. You got to start go. Well, actually, what about that? What about the villains? What about the action? And so it kind of chips away at it. Where like when I finished the movie, I wasn't like annoyed about it. Like we've watched things. Uh, believe me, Taken Two. I was like, good lord. What did I just sit and watch for 90 minutes? But, like, this thing, you kind of go, like, well, it had a few good ideas. I, I like some of the cast, but it seemed like they were, again, walking that weird line of, like, wanting to replicate the original in a lot of elements, but also do entirely its own thing and just not deciding which zone they wanted to, or which lane they wanted to take. Well, here's a question, I think, maybe before we uh, move on to things like the Noclis, etc. This film didn't do well, as you pointed out, Cam. We seem to think it's to do with the energy between the angels and the directing and the script and the characters and the plot. Oh, Jesus, thing's fucked. Um, <laughs> what do you do to save it? Is there any like quick fixes you could go back to Elizabeth Banks in 2019 and be like, hey, just reshoot this scene or just change this character or recast this person? What what would you try and tweak? Uh, Cam, go first. <sighs> I mean, look, right up front, I said this movie had like five different writers, and you can tell. it's It feels overwritten. And like, you know, I believe like, you know, Elizabeth Banks was like flirting with this property before Jumanji. But I think once Jumanji came out, it was just like, fire this thing out of a cannon. We've got to get this into screens because there's a need for these kind of reboots. So like, I, I don't think it was ready. Like, I think they... Even though they've been developing it for a while, maybe it's something that needed to be in development hell for a while. Uh, it just, I think there was like a, we need to get this onto the silver screen ASAP. And it, it just wasn't ready. Like, I don't think it knew what it was. I, I would have probably, like, here's the thing. One th- thing they mentioned, you know, which I referenced in the behind the scenes was they were hoping the script would attract top tier talent. It did not at all. Why? Like, why did no top-tier talent want to work in this movie? Maybe that's a question mark. I'm not against casting new faces in the movie. I think that's totally legit to do. But, like, why was it no, you know, established actors other than Kristen Stewart willing to do it? I would have been maybe looking at that as a little bit of a warning sign. It's it's certainly a fair point. Lucy, any suggestions? Yeah, I think for me, like, you guys mentioned the locations and the edit, and I think, you know, with a film like this, they had so many gorgeous locations and so many things that they really could have had, like, you know, lovely sort of really impressive cinematography and really tight editing sequences and some really exciting moments that weren't utilised. And I also think, you know, context would have been good, a little bit more establishing stuff. 
because you were kind of just thrown into it, really. You know, I mean, it, it just would have been nice for them to sort of build their own little universe and sort of kind of ease you into it rather than just sort of assuming the audience knew things, I guess. Um, yeah, it was kind of just, you know, kind of ha having a clear objective as well, kind of like, what are you trying to say? What is the message you're trying to put across here? Do you have a message? <laughs> or is this just a fun action movie, like Make Your Mind Up? Do you want to try and make a comment about women or do you want to just have fun like do you know what I mean like it's just I don't think they knew what they were doing and, and like Tam said it was very very overwritten and it was very obvious it was overwritten so it could have just been stripped back and simplified and just made a bit more streamlined that was my issue with it I have a question just for you, Lucy. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the debate around this one, too, is like they're trying to wedge in like this very, um, you know, pro-female message in this film. And that's yeah. what a lot of the firestorm around it was. But I also saw a lot of just arguments, you know, intelligent arguments saying that it was incredibly problematic to graft, you know, these sort of progressive messages into a franchise like Charlie's Angels, which has a very rocky history when you go back to the original show, like... Is that something that, like, to you was maybe, like, not the best idea? Or was this a franchise that needed to be rebooted in a different way? I don't know. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think it would, if they'd kind of taken my advice and if they had sort of, you know, had a clear message and they had, you know, a more, a tighter script, maybe they would have benefited from kind of ch changing the narrative and making it a bit more modernized and a bit more progressive. But it didn't do any of that. And I just think, I don't know, like, I would have loved to see kind of, you know, for like a new generation of girls, a new generation of Charlie's Angels, but it wasn't any of that at all, really. So perhaps they could have benefited from just keeping it the way it had always been, which is sad to an extent, but it just, it, it had nothing to say. And that is the big problem. Like, it didn't do anything. It was, it, it, it tried in Elizabeth Banks in interview. She's like, oh, you know, men don't get this and whatever, but it's not that. They just, they don't have a clear message. They're not trying not trying hard enough to kind of put it in there for me yeah like it does it's that whole overwritten thing like it's very muddled and plus let's also just you know elizabeth banks obviously has sole screenplay credit but it's like an army of male writers also um working on this thing so you just wonder how much when we talk about a muddled message how much that is perhaps tied to it as well like i would just be really curious what you know elizabeth banks just as the sole writer of this movie would come up with or if she had maybe some female collaborators on this thing yeah, absolutely. I don't know why they were, there were so many writers. I, I can't get my head around that. I don't understand the need for it, especially if Elizabeth Banks had something to say. Why didn't she say it herself, if that makes sense? Like, you don't need like a yeah. million writers, especially not a million male writers, if that's the issue that you're trying to argue against. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's just I think like that's kind of the unholy stew that this movie became <laughs> was just like all of this, <laughs> all of these problems just behind the scenes in terms of who's working on this movie. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to eat that stew. Thank you. <laughs> no. That 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 pat stew. Oh, oh boom! <laughs> mm. And I'm out. No, I just to answer my own question. But as I pitched it earlier, the only thing I would say is the Naughties films. Much as the plots don't make sense, much as McGee is a questionable director, its three leads were dynamic and fun, and they were clearly all bouncing off one another the entire time, and it was a riot to watch them on screen. It was not a riot to watch these three. No, it's like, I think Kristen Stewart is a riot to watch, yes. but the other two aren't. Like, 
she's playing more of the cartoon character, whereas the other two, and we should also mention her character, you know, is a queer character, which is pretty rare to see in a blockbuster. So, like, I give them points for, you know, putting her front and center in the movie and playing the character that way. But, like, um, yeah, it's kind of like you have one playing a total, like, well, someone similar to the, you know, the Angels in the previous McGee films. And then the other two, like, you know, uh, Ella Belinsky's character is just kind of, like, very, like, I don't even know what the term is. She's just very kind of blank, like, playing it a little too grounded, I guess. Um, and then, you know, um, Naomi Scott's character is portrayed like she's almost like a romantic comedy character. So it's kind of a weird match. I'm not sure I want to give them credit for Kristen Stewart's character being a queer character. I mean, it, it's almost, yeah. it's the same as, you know, the Star Wars Force Awakens or Last Jedi or the Return of Skywalkers or whatever it was, mm. where like, oh, there is a queer character. They're right in the background. They're over there somewhere. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not really doing anything about them being a queer character. She could have been entirely straight and you wouldn't have known. But that's it, yeah. That, that's the disappointing thing, isn't it? Like, they, they could have developed her character. They could have explored that side of her, but didn't. And again, it's, it's a waste, it's a waste of, a, of a sort of, of a concept if you're not going to illustrate it properly. Yeah, and you know what? That is an excellent point because they do go out of their way to give the Ella Belinsky character a little bit of a romantic foil by the end of the film, and they really don't with the Kristen Stewart. It's it's the sixth time you said this, Cam. I need to correct you. It's Ella Belinska. It's an A at the end, not an I. Why didn't you correct me the first time? <laughs> I thought you might have read it on IMDb and corrected yourself, but I, uh, I'm making this stay in the episode now. Ella Belinska. Uh, a at the I, end, my friend. My apologies to Ella Belinska. He said it right. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just gesture politics, unfortunately. Uh, you can say that she's queer. Okay, great. I, I love um, representation, but I, I agree with Lucy. Why wasn't she seducing, uh, you know, uh, have a bad guy that's a, a bad girl in this film and have her seduce that person or, you know, have her own romantic interests? The angels managed to have fully fleshed out romantic interests in the Naughties films. Where were they in this? Yeah. Um, okay, well, I think before we wrap up, any sort of final thoughts? I have one last question I'll throw out, but let's go to Lucy first. Any sort of final thoughts on the film? Yeah, I just, I guess, underwhelming is the kind of word that I would use. I think if it wasn't for Kristen Stewart, like, I probably would have hated this a lot more. Um, and it's kind of hard to be even excited because I love talking about film. It's kind of hard to get excited about talking about this film. It's just, it's, I wouldn't recommend it if it was on on an afternoon and I was hungover. Maybe I'd watch it. <laughs> like it's just, it's not, it's nothing to write home about, is it? It's just, it just is, and that's the worst type of film for me. It's just, it's fine. You know, that's that's it. Like you can't even get angry about it. It's just fine. <laughs> Cam, um, I've got a couple just little uh, points I'll bring out. I thought the dance scene was kind of fun. I wish it had been directed better, but it had some good energy. Uh, you know, this franchise has had some. Uh, pretty memorable dance sequences. I thought this one could have been, but eh, it's all right. Um, also, uh, this movie has a weird running joke at one point. They're not really a running joke, but just an extended joke about riffing on the Birdman of Alcatraz, the 1960s Burt Lancaster film. And I'm like, movie, know your audience. Like, <laughs> like, like what? Like, that's insane. Like, my parents would probably pick up on that one and really dig it. I've seen Birdman of Alcatraz, but I'm weird. So I'm sitting there going like, Okay, I mean, I kind of like the dig at the Ben Affleck Batman. That made me laugh, but weird. Really weird choice. Yeah, Scott, did that jump out to you? (laughs) 
Well, no, I was going to say, clearly Elizabeth Banks didn't know her quadrant. No. <laughs> oh. There we go. <laughs> um, I also just got a full-on groan, though, at the, I guess it's a joke, where they're talking to Naomi Scott's character and, like, Elizabeth Banks says something like, if you accentuated your cheekbones, you date more? And you're uh, like, what the hell was uh, that? Oh, my, oh my god. <laughs> sure. It's the sort of line you think they would write a man to say in the film. Yeah, and it's, like, so stupid. It's just like, Scott, we were joking on a Zoom call with a bunch of our friends the other day, the movie Ready Player One, where they have Olivia Cook with, like, um, she has, like, a birthmark, and all the other characters are like, oh, the horror of this woman. I can't believe it. And that felt like this, where you just roll your eyes at the line. Yeah, it's not very feminist, really, is it? <laughs> to be like, no. you change your appearance to impress boys. Like, no, let's not do that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really lifting each other up. No, not yeah. really. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, I think I've said my thoughts on this film. and I'll, I might surmise when I do the knock list in a second, but I had sort of one final question I just wanted to throw out to everyone. I don't think we're going to get a direct sequel to this film. I think that's pretty safe to say. But if we were going to get another Charlie's Angels film in the next, say, 10 years, are they going to call back on these three? Are they going to call back on the Naughties three? Or are we going to see some new actors? Oh, it'll be new actors. <laughs> That's not even a question mark to me. That's all new actors. But maybe, maybe they're willing to back the, you know, the truck up to get like a Drew Barrymore cameo or something like that or a supporting spot. You know how like so many um, reboot calls now, they'll bring back, you know, like a a known character look at like force awakens right where you bring back harrison ford and carrie fisher and you know the various supporting characters to kind of act as uh you know to kind of lift up you know your new characters like ray or kylo ren that's the sort of thing i could see them doing is bringing back one of the originals uh i mean they do have jacqueline smith in this movie to be fair um reprising her role as kelly garrett from the show uh so like that's something um i could see them doing that with that original team and when I say original, I should say the McG team, I should say, the cinematic team. Okay. Well, getting them in to just have, like, one scene together. Or, or, ju- or a supporting role, like their okay. background players in the movie. I'd, I'd be fine with that. I, I'd like some acknowledgement, uh, apart from a, a picture, a very poorly, uh, a very a very pixelated picture, might I add, which was strange. Uh, Lucy, any thoughts on what we get? Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I would say fresh, fresh actresses, just, you know, completely new timeline new people um but actually having said that cameos would be fun like even a Kristen stewart cameo might be quite nice it's just it needs to make sense though it can't just be thrown in like the the ham-fisted sort of weird photo you mentioned like you you know if if you're gonna do it you need to do it right but i would prefer to see a brand new like trio but a trio that had the kind of chemistry that we were looking for it would have to be cast incredibly well i think I, I quite like what the towns and agency had become where this like international group of you know people for hire mm-hmm. with Bosleys and there's one Charlie and there's Bosleys everywhere and angels everywhere. I quite like that. It makes like it's a nice evolution and I didn't actually mind that in this film. They could carry that through to another film in five, ten years time, but I would like to see maybe Drew Barrymore as a Bosley. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I wonder about though is Scott revisiting those first two Charlie's Angels films, um there's a lot of elements that haven't aged great since they've come out. I'm just really curious how those movies are viewed in another 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I I think I don't know. I actually don't know what how they'll how they'll hold up. I I hope they're not, you know, hidden away somewhere for some of their choices. I think they were of their time and they tried their best with what they had. 
Um, well, I guess that brings us over to the knock list. Cam, as we have a guest, why don't you just sort of, you know, explain to us again what the knock list is and what we're doing here. Yes, the knock list is the need to see official classics of the Spy Hearts canon. Every week we, after discussing the movie, debate whether it belongs on the list of the all-time great spy films. Um, so I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing as I'm saying it. <laughs> right, okay. I think we got your vote, Cam, but go on. Uh, yeah, so um, films that have made it in have been movies like, you know, Dr. No and Goldfinger, North by Northwest, um, Hannah made it in, um, The uh, Three Days of the Condor. So that's sort of the background on the uh, the knock list. And uh, yes, back to you, Scott. <laughs> As we're here then, is Charlie's Angels making the knock list? Lucy, you're our guest. You get the first vote. Yes or no? No. <laughs> It, it's <laughs> I said what I need to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely understand. Uh, Cam, I think I know your vote. It's obviously a yes, right? Clearly, across the board, yes. Uh, I want to kick out Goldfinger while I'm at it to get this one in. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a no, but there's movies that were like a harsh no for me or like a, mm, we better disavow this one. Uh, that's not the case here. It's just, it's middling. But honestly, like, give me like a few months down the road or years you'll ask me what i thought of this one i'll be like oh kristen stewart was really fun in that movie that'll be my takeaway and that's sort of my takeaway you know just after watching it last night uh well i i I don't think he really needs me to chuck my vote in as you know uh we've already got two notes it's basically as always pointless but you know i i think this film was it could have been great if you look at the talent behind it, it could have been something, and they had some good ideas in there, but I just think it was was dead on its arrival. So it's an absolute no, and it's an absolute shame. Yeah, it's like a, a weird product of a like Sony is one of the <laughs> one of the worst studios around, and it kind of shows what happens when you have a you know something like a Jumanji, and just how they're de- just desperate to clog up the cinemas with reboots that maybe weren't the best ideas to start with. So, like, I just think this one was kind of a compromised product right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's it. I mean, it, it also sort of concludes our time talking about Charlie's Angels. So maybe do we want to just quickly rank the films? Sure. Well, like, Lucy, you've watched <laughs> the uh, original and yeah. this one. I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're able to rank them pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't really need to ask me. But obviously, while we're here, it's the original and then this one quite clearly. <laughs> Yeah, that that's fair. Uh, what about you, Scott? <laughs> uh, obviously, number one is is this one, of course. No, well, hold um, on, Scott. Scott, should we include the TV pilot in our rankings? Uh for me and you, maybe I think we should just just yeah. as a just as a joke. Sure. Um, okay. In that case, I'm gonna go from worst to best. It's gonna be Charlie's Angels 2019. The TV pilot at number three. What? <laughs> That's crazy talk. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, I just didn't like it as much as you guys. And much as the TV pilot bored the hell out of me, I felt like it had a a cohesive story to it. I guess. Like it wasn't very it wasn't very interesting, but like it, it made sense from page to page. Um, it wasn't riveting, but the angels had a good dynamic going on. The actors were trying. It just wasn't a very exciting story. That's what that had going against it. But there was clearly a spark there, which allowed that pilot to be picked up into a TV show. True. 
Okay, so your ranking so far, you've got the 2019 at the bottom, then the pilot, so continue on. And then I have, I think it's, it's quite easy from here on in, it's full throttle in second, and in first place, you know, the 2000 McG directed to Charlie's Angels. And I, I, I still think that's probably one of the ones that I was closest to saying yes on the knock list. Right. Okay, yeah, my rankings are in the bottom place, I'm putting that TV pilot, which was punishing Boo. to sit through. I don't know Boo. how you sat through it, Scott. Um, twice. Twice, yeah, Cam. Twice. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't. No. In third place, I think I'm going to put full throttle. And wow. Yeah, I think, yeah, full throttle's pretty rough. Uh, second place, I'm giving to this one, the 2019. And in first place, with a little bit of a gap there between two and one, is the original Charlie's Angels, which I, I don't think is uh, any sort of masterpiece, but it knew exactly what it was, and it didn't feel muddled. It was propulsive, charismatic, you know, lead performances across the board. No weird power dynamics in terms of the three leads. So, like, uh, yeah, for me, that's, you know, that makes the original the best of the of the four. But I, I honestly don't think we have gotten the definitive cinematic Charlie's Angels film. No, I think there's one out there. I think we could... I hope in our lifetimes we get a good across the board, you know, hit it out the park Charlie's Angels film. Yeah, I mean, I, although like when I'm like seven years old, will I care? <laughs> uh, no, probably not. I think you'll just be like, oh, they're so these young whippersnappers. Yeah. Children's entertainment scares me. You'll turn into Patrick Stewart at the end of this film with your Cockney accent all of a sudden. <laughs> I'll be watching Birdman of Alcatraz on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> well, on on that note, uh, uh, it sounds like there's three no's, and as such, Charlie's Angels is not making the knock list, and the dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. Now, before we talk about next week, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me and thank you for educating me because I know I'm not the best spy person, but I've had a lot of fun. We'll have to give you a, a mission down the road, Lucy, for another film to check out. In, uh, maybe, a, maybe a less serious one or maybe a super fun one. We don't know. We'll, we'll yeah. find out. But um, you know, where can the listeners hear more from yourself? Obviously, you're on Twitter and you have your own podcast too. Yeah, so my Twitter is um, at Lucy Jade Bugler, so it's B-U-G-L-A-S-S. Uh, and my podcast is TV Time, which is T, the letter V, Time pod um we are on hiatus at the moment but we are coming back with cobra kai pretty soon oh nice um which i'm excited about because i love that series and season four has just been confirmed so uh, december so it should be exciting um but yeah i'm podcasting and writing stuff mainly is there any podcasts you would recommend people check out just as a you know test the waters for your show like what are some episodes you're really happy with uh we did it's a sin was our pilot one actually and that was amazing um i don't know if you guys had it's a sin across across your neck of the woods but it was an amazing series it was a really good show <sighs> yeah it was i don't Russell T. Davis is the yeah i don't think it crossed it. over here yeah it was a bit it was channel four was channel i think four, um, and it was kind of me trying to sort of because I, I love channel four stuff so i was like oh, and it was such a good piece of work that i really wanted to just put it out there as my pilot and my guest um simon simon whitlock was incredible as well um but no we've done loads we've done personal favorite was probably bojack horseman i'm obsessed with that series <laughs> Um, Great yeah. show as yeah, well. In terms of its, you know, the blend of humor and comedy is just the best in in that particular series. And like, who knew a series with an animated horse could be so deep? Honestly, um, but no, I've done a lot. But yeah, um, there'll be something for everybody there, like regardless of what you're, you're into. 
Um, we haven't done many horror things actually yet. So that's next on my list is I, I want to do like the Scream series from Netflix and I want to do like the Haunting of Hill House, that kind of thing. So we've got a lot to come. Very cool. Yeah, the horror stuff. Yeah, for sure. The, the Scream and uh, mm-hmm. Haunting of uh, Hill House would be awesome. Hill House is terrifying. <laughs> Well, we'll obviously have links to all of those in the show notes as well, guys. If you want to check those out, just check out the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you again, Lucy, for joining us. But Cam, what are we doing next week? Change of pace, Scott. We're now tackling the works of Bob Hope. <laughs> we are leaping to the year 1951 to tackle My Favorite Spy, a comedy that pairs Bob Hope with Hedy Lamarr. I'm looking forward to this one. It'll be, a, I think, an interesting curiosity. You say Bob Hope as if that's someone you know. I have no idea who you're talking about. Well, we'll talk more about that next week. But, uh, you know, anyone out there who wants to follow along, My Favorite Spy is available through pretty much every streaming network through rentals. So check it out. Perfect. Um, Well, there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out My Favorite Spy and join us next week we are of course a proud member of pod breed and quite the thing media podcast networks and you can of course follow the knock list much as charlie's angels just didn't make it this week a lot of films have and you can find that on letterbox.com slash spy hards and don't forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spy that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week listeners the speech is my recital I think it's very vital to rock a rhyme. That's right. On time. It's tricky is the title. Here we go. It's tricky to rock a rhyme, to rock a rhyme. That's right on time. It's tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky.